Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I hope you want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just entertain, but to educate tissue and, boy, put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Even as the House of Representatives debates the impeachment of the president, the stock market seems like it couldn't care less. Too glib? Maybe not glib enough. See, the average has barely budged today. Oh, the Dow did snap that five-day winning streak to close down 28 points. The S&P backslid 0.04%. NASDAQ actually advanced 0.05%. Look, while most of the country is spellbound by the prospect of the House impeaching President Trump, the effect on the market was minimal. Why? Well, in part because we know exactly how the trial in the Senate will go. More on that, much more on that later. From an economic perspective, though, there's just, just, not, there's just not a lot at stake here. The only outstanding issue that really matters to Wall Street is the negotiation of the new NAFTA. That's looking like a done deal in Congress because Speaker Nancy Pelosi was willing to compromise. The holdup here actually is Mexico, which is rebelling against the notion of U.S. labor law monitors in their country, issues of sovereignty. Of course, there's the trade war with China. Oh, we just got a phase one deal with the Chinese, and President Trump agreed to reduce the tariffs as long as the PRC plays ball. I think that anything that levels the playing field with China is a good thing. I've been tough on China, but leveling playing field, good. And anything that reduces the uncertainty of the trade war by de-escalating it will be beneficial for the stock market. The political theater of this impeachment process, zero impact on that. In fact, I expect China to make some huge pork purchases imminently because African swine flu has devastated their own pork production. They've lost more than half of their hog population this year. While China has a great deal of frozen pork, prices are already soaring. And it's only going to get worse if they don't start importing large quantities of the stuff from us. We're the only country with the spare capacity to meet China's voracious demand for the other white meat. Now, you hear a lot of experts describe the Chinese Communist Party as unassailable authoritarian regime. 
But you know something? Skyrocketing food prices are one of the few things that scares the heck out of authoritarian regimes. Don't forget the Tiananmen Square protests 30 years ago. They started as food riots, not about free speech. We always hear that President Xi is invincible. They've taken to calling him the king, according to the CEO of a big-time American industrial company that just came back from China that I talked to. But food inflation, that's how kings get throned. That's right. That's how they get dethroned. Again, the Chinese need to buy American pork, regardless of what is happening in Washington today. That's why I like Tyson Foods, which stands to make a fortune if pork prices surge. Now, why is that? Well, because they sell pork themselves, but because we'll also be eating more beef and chicken is to become more affordable versus pork. That's right in Tyson's wheelhouse. I buy it right here. Buy, 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 buy. You know, with or without these big Chinese ag purchases, what else works? If a thousand American flowers are really blooming in China, then you probably want to own NVIDIA. <laughs> We're just seeing a bunch of deals with Chinese companies just last night for its chips that are being used in autonomous driving, artificial intelligence, and gaming. I think it's a prelude to China finally giving NVIDIA permission to acquire Mellanox, that Israeli networking equipment play that, by the way, Jensen Wong, the CEO of NVIDIA, told us when we went out there, would close. The deal would be immediately added to earnings. But the Chinese regulators still haven't signed off on the deal, even as the EU did today, sending NVIDIA to a new 52-week high. I think that good news beckons. Oh, and it doesn't hurt that the technicals are very much on your side with NVIDIA. As Carolyn Broden, the self-described Fibonacci queen, pointed out uh, just last night on the, our Off the Chart segment, she predicted a huge run in NVIDIA. I think she's going to be right. We also got still one more update from many of the retailers that are most hostage to China. And here, what do we think of? When we think of it, we think of Kohl's, we think of Gap, we think of Macy's, uh, we think of Nordstrom. These are the companies that haven't been able to mitigate the cost of the tariffs to Wall Street's satisfaction. I'm okay with that. But I think this rebound, getting a little long in the tooth. Oh, and the Macau casino stocks jumped on word that China will loosen the currency restrictions on its gambling haven, something that should bolster the American operators that do business there, like Wynn and Las Vegas Sands. I like those. Over and over again, though, what matters in this market isn't Washington. It's the fundamentals. Today, Deutsche Bank anointed Facebook Instagram as the gold standard for online advertising in a gutsy piece that helped Facebook at last blow through 200, the subtle gist. It doesn't matter what the politicians say. Facebook's users and its advertisers, they love the platform. The pin action here was so positive that even ne'er-do-well Twitter stock went up. As I see it, every day Congress spends focused on President Trump is another day where they're not going after Mark Zuckerberg. Meanwhile, the speculative cohort caught another big Kramer fave. I love saying that. Tesla finally is closing in on Elon Musk's fabled $420 price target. Well, this time the move is fueled by the woes of their high-end competitors in Europe. Stories of delayed deliveries from European automakers are the source of the excitement this time. Drove the stock up 14 bucks to 393 At the same time, fellow cult stock Netflix rallied again. This time by five points. More that Disney Plus doesn't seem to be eating into their sales too badly. Now, after the close, we heard from Micron, the commodity semiconductor maker that you know I like so much. I told you to expect a good quarter. That's exactly what we got. Even better, CEO Sanjay Marotra, a friend of the show, said that the quarter would mark the bottom for Micron's business, meaning the future is looking brighter than the past. No wonder the stock surged in after hours trading. I expect more bullish semiconductor pin action again tomorrow. All right, all right. Of course, 
there were some negatives. Whoa. FedEx. FedEx blew up again. Just last night, stock swiftly lost 10% of its value. Now, I got plenty more to say about this one. It's become a serial disappointer, by the way. But rightly or wrongly, the stock of UPS only declined a couple of bucks. And the news is the market assumed that FedEx's problems are FedEx-specific. I think it's more of a fellow traveler, frankly. Let's not be oblivious, though. I think the transports are an important bellwether for the market, and that ugly quarter from FedEx is bad for the rest of what we call the tape. I don't like the fact that we're now at plus five on the S&P, five, the S&P oscillator. That's actually you, that's that company we actually had the uh, uh, Doug Peterson on the CEO the other day. That's, I pay for that oscillator, and it, normally when it gets this high, it means we're overbought and then therefore due for a pullback. So I think you should be willing to ring the register more than you should do some buying. Bottom line. While today's impeachment debate didn't seem to do much damage, a late wave of selling was indeed met with almost no buyers today. And that's not what you want to see if you're hoping for smooth sailing going forward into year end. Still, even if we have a few down days coming up, courtesy more of the market being overbought than the president being over impeached, market history says it's a mistake to freak out about the impeachment process. Stick around. And I'll tell you why. Hey, why don't we go to Dave in Illinois? Dave! Jim, just want to thank you for sharing your market knowledge, your hard work and enthusiasm delivered on well over 3,000 plus shows. You have unquestionably impacted my approach as a serious investor. Well, Dave, I'm thrilled about that. Uh, Let's talk about a stock, though. What stock would you like to talk about? Well, I want to talk about the uh, market outlook for 2020. Jim, what's in store? 2019 has delivered an S&P to date up 27%. We're in the 11th year of a bull market, and the Fed has resumed its bond purchasing program. On the other hand, expected headwinds include sluggish global growth, negative global debt topping out above $17 trillion, and the U.S two-year, ten-year yield curve inversion. Yeah, but Dave, you know what? We're not going to let these these particular issues really blind us to the opportunities that I see. And in the show tonight, we're going to be talking about how tech turns out to be the best way to go, regardless of the political implications. And I'm going to stick with that for now, even though I know short-term it might be overheated. All right, listen, people, the average is barely budged today. But if we have a few down days, I am urging you not to freak out. They should be expected, given how overbought we are. Mad Money tonight, when Clinton was impeached, the market gained. But what will the future hold for the averages today? It's Mad Money impeach Oh no, Nick. How about get a fresh peach? They're, they're out of season. All right, then, investors kept cooler heads uh, through the last impeachment inquiry into U.S. president. But how could today's proceedings impact your portfolio? I'm focusing on the best gainers from 1999 to see if the performances could offer any clues. And they do. Plus, with Wall Street focusing on Washington today and a vote taking place this very evening, I'm going to get the latest from CNBC's Amen Jabber. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. 
With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. We are back, and it's time to check in with Elon Moy, who has been bringing us to the action all day from D.C. Elon, I know you had every angle covered. I know you, you're inexhaustible. What's the latest? And it's the drama building. Well, we are in the final leg, Jim, of today's marathon debate in the House over the articles of impeachment against President Trump. Both sides coming down now to their closing arguments. Republicans that this is all just sour grapes left over from 2016. Democrats say that no one, not even the president, is above the law. The risk is real. Our democracy is at peril. But we are not without a remedy prescribed by the founders for just these circumstances. Impeachment. The only question is, will we use it? Clearly, Jim, the answer is yes. And the House is on track to begin voting on the articles of impeachment around 7.30 to 8 p.m. Eastern. After that, the president will become just the third in history to be impeached by the House. Though This time, that vote will be largely along party lines, Jim. Elon Moy, thank you so much. You are doing a fantastic job, and I really appreciate you keeping us updated. Good to see you. Thank you. All right. Now, looking at the action today, it might seem like this market has a very hard time incorporating what we just talked about, the impeachment of a sitting president. Now, I'm sure many of you are astonished, really kind of blown away, I bet, by the cavalier way the averages have plowed higher, despite the horrific headlines the House of Pain. And the level of partisan rancor in Washington, it seems reminiscent of when they were trying to get through that compromise of 1850 before the Civil War. But I've got to tell you, this market is actually doing a great job of reacting to the impeachment process. Why? 
Because while what's happening today is momentous, it's just not momentous to Wall Street. Remember, 21 years ago, the Republicans in Congress impeached President Clinton. I remember that being a much more uncertain time because Nixon had been forced to resign within living memory and because the opposition controlled both houses of Congress. The GOP had 55 seats and they only needed 12 Democratic defectors to remove Clinton from office. But the Democrats, no, they didn't break ranks. While a few Republicans did, the actual vote was 50-50. President Clinton, he was acquitted. I'm betting a Trump impeachment would play out pretty much the same way. And so is Wall Street. That's why the market could roar right into the impeachment inquiry. If anything, regardless of how you feel about the merits of the actual investigation, how you feel, Trump is in much better shape than Clinton because his party controls the Senate. And again, this probably doesn't need to be said, but I'll make it explicit anyway. You need a two-thirds supermajority in the Senate to remove a president from office. That means something like 20 Republican senators would have to switch sides. And right now, that seems, frankly, it seems unimaginable to me. I'd be surprised if there are more than one or two Republicans who vote to convict. At the end of the day, impeachment is a political process. And when you look at the political dynamics, it's pretty obvious Trump will be acquitted. I'm not saying it's a nothing burger. It's an impeachment trial, for heaven's sake. Only the third time in history, as Elon just mentioned. But the outcome is a bit of a foregone conclusion, people. And that's what the stock market, uh, that's what it cares about. It cares about certainty. Some, something can be momentous and newsworthy without being, you know, important to the market. I said over and over that as far as Wall Street's concerned, impeachment is a sideshow. It's just not that relevant. You might want it to be, but it's not. When the House launches impeachment inquiry in late September, I pointed out that you should use any Washington-driven weakness as a buying opportunity because that's what worked during the Clinton impeachment process. The averages got hammered when the Judiciary Committee launched its probe into Bill Clinton. That turned out to be a fabulous buying opportunity between the Judiciary committee's recommendation and the House's full vote to impeach about 10 weeks later, the Dow surged 16%. S&P roared 21%. NASDAQ skyrocketed 39%. Although I should point out that we got a major boost from the Fed in October of 1998. Remember, even then, the Fed, the Fed, the Fed. I could bore you stiff with that Fed, couldn't I? Anyway, the lesson here is pretty straightforward. If you let the impeachment inquiry scare you out of the market in 1998, just made you, you just got frightened, okay? Sell, 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 sell. You miss some huge gains as the stock market just kept on trucking. So far, 2019 has played out the same way, even if the gains aren't quite as extreme this time around. If you sold everything on September 24th when Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, announced her support for an impeachment inquiry, well, I got the kick me sign for you. That's right, because you're kicking yourself now. Dow ran up 5.3%, S&P up 7.6%, Nasdaq's run more than 10%. Well, there we go. Uh, But now impeachment moves into its next phase, the trial in the Senate. So let's get that Clinton playbook out again. What does it tell us? Well, if you measure from the day the House voted to impeach, kind of like this vote that we're taking, that we're waiting for. That's right. The day they voted to impeach Clinton. uh, Well, I mean, let's take a look at this. To the conclusion of the Senate trial, less than two months later, the Dow actually rallied 3.2 percent. S&P gained 2.2 percent. NASDAQ zoomed 8.6 percent. That's right. From this day, we take it from this day. Buying opportunity. All told, from the beginning of the impeachment inquiry through the Senate's vote to acquit, the averages gave you an incredible run. The Dow surged 21%, SB was up 26%, the NASDAQ was up 56%. So let's just say the buyers have history on their side. In fact, after we got the Clinton impeachment over with the February of 1999, well, you know what? We had a glorious year for the stock market. Really fabulous. Kind of left out the, uh, 
right shoulder there. Whoa. The Dow finished up 25% for 1999. S&P gained 19%. NASDAQ rocketed 85%. On COVID. Again, that was the fabled dot bomb. Uh, it, impeachment was irrelevant. You had to use any weakness to buy and then to buy and then to buy. Beyond the history, though, there's an even more important reason why it doesn't matter. While the impeachment headlines might dominate the front page, they don't make it to the business section. Why should they? Back at my old hedge fund. Well, I like this one. Back at my old hedge fund. Whenever someone would bring up something ripped from the headlines that sounded daunting but had nothing to do with business, I'd always say, what the heck does that matter to the price-to-earnings ratio of Bristol-Myers? 20 years later, the dictum still rings true. Bristol-Myers is a quintessential blue-chip stock. I really like it here. That guy, Dr. Conforio, is doing a great job. And its valuation is determined by what you're willing to pay for its future earnings stream. The Clinton impeachment had zero impact on the future earnings stream. The Trump impeachment will play out the same way. Now, the difficulty for you is that there's always some gas bag who's willing to come on air and argue that this kind of political wrangling should play a role, like it's akin to inflation or GDP growth or federal funds rate. But the simple fact is, it's not. There's no reason stocks should go down just because the president gets some real bad publicity. Whatever you think of the Ukraine thing, Ukraine thing, right? we got a pretty strong economy going here, low interest rates. Nothing that's happening in Washington right now is going to change that. So forgive me if I emphasize it again, but the impeachment and trial of President Trump has nothing to do with the price-to-earnings ratio of Bristol-Myers, or any other stock for that matter. Finally, you have the argument I've been coming back to for ages. You have to own stocks because what the heck else are you supposed to own? What the heck else are you supposed to do with your money? Are you going to call your broker and say, you know what? Here's what I want to do. I want to swap out of all my stocks sell, 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 sell. and go into bonds, which yield almost nothing. Because President Trump won't be convicted in the Senate? Doesn't sound that rational to me. Now, if you stick with me, I'm going to contrast what roared back during the Clinton impeachment with the stocks that could lead us higher now. Because you know my mantra, there's always a bull market somewhere. And the bottom line is right now there are a ton of bull markets. That's right. It may not be classy, but I'm here to tell to help you profit from these impeachment proceedings. Because you know what? The show isn't mad politics. It's mad money. And on mad money, we never stop hunting for the next bull market for you. Stick with right. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. When you compare this market to the last impeachment go-around with President Clinton, it's really pretty astonishing how much of what was working then is also working now. Back in the 90s, the late, great Mark Haynes, one of the just an amazing hosts for CNBC, used to call me Reverend Jim Bob from the Church of What's Happening Now. I love it. But what was working in 1999 turned out to work for a lot longer than anyone expected, even if the dot-com crash temporarily erased some of those gains. 
Clinton was acquitted in February of 1999, so let's peruse the best performers from the major averages to see if they can give us any insight into how to handle the Trump impeachment proceedings. The best performer in the Dow Jones average from 1999 wasn't in the index back then, but it sure is now. Care to guess? Whoa, I think I replaced my apple with my peach. (laughs) And here it is. Apple. Up 100. Wow, someone gave me a new shiny one. Up 151% for the year of the last Senate trial of a sitting president. Isn't that incredible? This was the beginning of a much larger run led by Steve Jobs after his triumphant return in 97. You know what worked back then? And it works now. Yeah. Own Apple. Don't trade it, please! Second best performer, Cisco. Right at that moment in 1999, Cisco was at the center of the Internet boom. Uh, They were considered to be the backbone of the entire build-out. But Cisco flew way too close to the sun back then, rallying 130% in 1999, and then soon fell back to earth, plummeting to the single digits as its telco clients went belly up. 1999, I mean, it just kept going and going and going. Even today, the stock still hasn't fully recovered. The amazing thing is that Cisco survived, frankly, at all. Now I think you're getting one of the best buying opportunities in ages because CEO Chuck Robbins, and we like to get all these numbers right, CEO Chuck Robbins, he, while incredibly, reinvents the company, making Cisco more of a subscription software internet of things play with a fantastic 5G portfolio, but that's for the enterprise, okay? It's not right now, all right? It's going to be uh, back of the end of next year. Now, uh, back in 1999, interest rates were much higher. Not now, though, which is why Cisco's 3% yield here is so enticing to me. Their best performer was Walmart. This stock's been on fire for ages. It really hasn't quit. The fact that it was only up 70% in 1999 gave you a terrific entry point. I remember many people saying that Walmart was horrendously overvalued back then versus the fancy pants retailers where most of these rich analysts shop. But I'll take Walmart's 20 to 120 run since then any day of the week. Or any day in the last 20 years. You know how Facebook and Alphabet are facing all sorts of government investigations right now? Well, back then, we had another software colossus in the midst of the mother of all federal investigations. United States versus Microsoft. An antitrust horror show that many thought would crush the company, although it still managed to rally 68% in 1999. Remember, everything was going nuts at that period. The antitrust case turned out to be a buying opportunity, but only long term, as Microsoft swiftly fell from 50 to 13 when the dot-com bubble burst. I still like Microsoft up here. In the 150s, Sachin Nadella doing such a remarkable job. The regulators, they no longer have these guys in the crosshairs. Fifth is Home Depot, also rallied 68% that year. Well, uh, that was on the way to national domination. While its business never really faltered, the ensuing recession caused the stock to get slammed. It took more than a decade to recover. You know what I still think that Despot's cheap at 218? Roughly 20 points off its high, 2.5% yield. Now, the company just stumbled because of lowered guidance, but I predict that will be a blip over the long haul even as I was quite upset about it, to tell you the truth. Sometimes you get these moments where tech shines so brightly that it dominates not just, not just the NASDAQ 100, but also the S&P 500. And the period after the Clinton impeachment was one of those. The leader? Qualcomm. Which rallied an astonishing, and you won't believe this, but you had to live it. Lived to be through it, like lived through it as I did. It was up 2,619 percent in 1999. That's what a 3 to 88 run looks like. Talk about Icarus. This darn semiconductor stock fell to seven not long after that. It took about 20 years to get back to that lofty and definitive top. Qualcomm has always been a creature of improving cell phone technology, and now it's 5G that beckons. 
With the stock selling for 14 times earnings, sporting an almost 3% yield, this makes no sense to me. I think the stock should be much higher, especially after that terrific quarter that Moo, which of course is Micron, just reported this evening. S&P second best performer in 1999 was Verisign, up 1,192%, which made perfect sense because it's a domain registration company. And there was a domain name gold rush back then. Guess what? There still is one now. And Verisign's got all sorts of ancillary businesses. They reinvented themselves. Terrific returns. Stock peaked at, clo- uh, at close to 260 in 2000 and crashed to the single digits during the collapse. But like Cisco, it stayed in business, even if it took the stock 20 years to fully recover to those levels. Let me give you another one. Third best performed in the S&P in 1999. Lamb Research. RCX. Up more than 500%. I like the semiconductor capital equipment maker back when I was a hedge fund manager, and I like it again now, even as it's up more than 100% for 2019. One of the best performers in the S&P. What's the secret sauce here? Lamb dominates this industry along with applied materials, which is one reason it, it never really got crushed during the dot-com collapse. I think it's actually got more room to run here, even as it's only a few points from the high. But this one, I mean, how can you not wait for at least a tad of a pullback? The rest of the winners, 1999, that are still kicking. They remain intriguing here, but not as viable. NASDAQ 100, number four, uh, Checkpoint Software, a version of cybersecurity that I'm just okay with. Number five, Biogen. You're taking a flyer there on Alzheimer's treatment with that one. I prefer other drug stocks because of the binary nature of that company's prospects. Oh, and let's end with a curious oddity. This morning, my colleague David Faber talked extensively about how Dish Network's Charlie Ergen is trying to buy some assets that need to be divested before Sprint and T-Mobile can get regulatory, federal regulatory approval to merge. Dish wants to build out a national 5G network, which could cost billions and billions of dollars. Ergen testified yesterday that he has $10 billion in financing lined up to make it happen. Back in 1999, Dish was a great growth company. Its stock was up 706%. But like so many others in the telco and transmission space, its stock crashed back to earth in 2000. It took 14 years to rebound to its old highs. Me, I'd rather own ATT with more than 5% yielder. Or T-Mobile, which will have good growth even if the Sprint deal gets blocked by various states' attorney general who definitely want it spiked. You know what my takeaway is? We keep thinking about how hard it is to own tech, all of us, you, me. You know, it is hard. Many of those winners from 1999 collapsed soon after the post-impeachment rally. But the bottom line, for the companies that survived, in most cases, the dot-com crash, it proved to be an excellent buying opportunity. Oh, boy, did you need to be patient with some. Not all. And impeachment or no impeachment, I think that lesson still holds true today. Let's take calls. Let's go to Bill in New York. Bill. Hey, Jim. Thank you so much for taking my call. Of course. I've been watching your show for about 10 years. When I first started investing, when I was 22, Thank you. You're a huge help to, uh, with everything you, you and your team do on your show. Oh, man, you're a champ. Thank you. Long day. Really appreciate it. What's up? Absolutely. So I bought United Rentals about a year and a half at what I thought was a pullback from its highs. Unfortunately, the stock continued to trade down. It's been on a big run for the last three months, but I'm curious if you think it's going to go a little bit higher or if uh, this is my time to get out and uh, put my money somewhere else. I am bullish in the U.S. economy ever since the Fed cut rates. URI is a definitive play on the U.S. economy, does have some oil exposure, which I'm not crazy about. I think you're fine, uh, but I would take some off the table. You just had a gigantic run, and I know that bulls make money, bears make money. Alex in New Jersey, Alex. Hey, how's it going, Jim? Not bad, Alex. How about you? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. I want to get your opinion on something, uh, if you got a minute. Sure. So the stock, uh, its earnings are coming out tomorrow, right? And uh, with two failed mergers, stores closing, and uh, Amazon getting into the space now, the pharmaceutical space, 
Is Rite Aid worth looking at, or no. uh, would you recommend something like CVS no. or Walgreens? No. I don't know. Maybe I'm not being definitive enough. How about absolutely no? How about no chance no? Don't, 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 don't buy, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. <laughs> Sometimes it just happens. CVS is much better. Don't, do not buy Walgreens. Walgreens doesn't really have it together. Uh, my chapel trust on CVS, you can read all about it because we, uh, at AxelersPlus.com, stuck at 73 right now. It's going to earn 7 bucks next year. Give it a 10, give it an 8 multiple. I think that's really reasonable. You still got another 12, 13 points to go. So let's buy CVS. <laughs> hey, by the way, I'm going to throw in CBS. CBS, Viacom CBS. That's a twofer. That's a twofer. All right. Let's go to Steve. Oh, in uh, Dallas Goddard country. Uh, by the way, Dak Prescott. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Steve in South Dakota. Steve. Yes, you're right. You got a, You guys got a great tight end from here. Um, so with Pfizer, uh, Barron's just posted something a few days ago. They, met, they were talking about their top 10 stocks for 2020, and they named Pfizer as one of them. They also just increased their dividend a few days ago. I think they're yielding about a three eight now. My only concern with Pfizer is you you've seen some other big pharmas like like Bristol Myers Squibb, Lilly. They've their stocks appreciated quite a bit lately, whereas Pfizer's just kind of been stuck in the sand. Uh, what do you think on well, Pfizer? Uh, going uh, forward? Uh, you know, you? Look, that's Pfizer. That is what Fiverr, Pfizer is, Steve. It is slow, it's steady, but it does win some races, not all. I'm okay with Pfizer because of the yield. I'm okay with Pfizer. Not crazy about it, but okay with it. I like how there's more. I'm going to Mike in Oregon. Mike! Hey, Jim Kramer, booyah. From booyah. Oregon, go Ducks. I like the Ducks here. What's up? Oh, Hey, I've got a concern about Lockheed Martin. Why? Hey, I've been, uh, you know, I've I worked for Lockheed for 34 years. I've uh, been buying it since I was 25, loaded up my ESOF, and consistently it, it keeps overwhelming my portfolio. And now I'm 66 and retired. And again, it is overwhelming my portfolio. And my money manager is saying, what do you want to do? I'm at 42%. And he's and I'm debating whether I should trim back. Uh, I got to tell you, Mike, when you told me that number, I'm going to have to side with your money manager. It's not really side. I work closely with everybody. Um, That is a little too much, uh, particularly at your age, which, by the way, I regard as very young and think you should come out of retirement. So I don't feel so bad. Um, But I do think that Lockheed Martin is a very good stock. Uh, You worked at a great company. Uh, Congratulations. But you own too much of it versus the rest of your portfolio. Fact of life. Right, history often rhymes. Stay patient. Now, much more may have money ahead, including an update on where we are in this impeachment process with CNBC's own Eamon, Eamon Jabbers. Now, Eamon may not understand the concept of the eat a peach, but you know what? I'm a big Allman Brothers fan from way back. Then that wasn't the only story that dominated the market today. I'm breaking down FedEx's latest earnings, telling you where to go from here, and all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Answer. Stay with Kramer. I reiterate, 
Impeachment isn't that important to the stock market, but it's still a very, very big deal. That's why we need to get a better sense of what's happening with Eamon Javers, CNBC's White House reporter. Eamon, it's so great to see you on the show. Welcome to Man Money. What do you got for me? Yeah, Jim, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, listen, I wanted to tell you about Larry Kudlow, a guy you know pretty well. He was just talking to a couple of us in the briefing room here. I asked him if this impeachment situation is going to play a role in the trade negotiations with the Chinese. You know, did the Chinese look at this and say, hey, wait a second, he's getting impeached. Let's back off. Let's not negotiate. And what does that mean for phase two? Larry, as always, was optimistic about where this White House is in those trade negotiations. But he said something interesting I wanted to flag for you, which is that he said Henry Kissinger, the diplomat, had been here at the White House about two weeks ago, two Fridays ago, he said, briefing White House folks on his meetings one-on-one with Xi Jinping in China, in Beijing. Kissinger met with, with the Chinese leader and then came here to the White House to brief White House officials on the contents of that conversation. I asked Kudlow, so does that mean that Henry Kissinger is playing a back-channel role in these trade negotiations? And he said, well, I don't want to give you the family jewels. So he didn't confirm it, uh, but he seemed to indicate that at least Kissinger is going back and forth between Beijing and Washington and and speaking to the principals on both sides. So I thought that was kind of interesting in some of the, the politics of this geopolitical battle and the fact that Kudlow, anyway, is saying that he doesn't think impeachment hurts the trade negotiations. Well, I mean, this is more than interesting because Secretary Kissinger, great man, is a globalist. He's a definitive globalist. He's been a globalist forever. He's the person I think most of when I think of opening the door with China. He is the opposite, say, of Peter Navarro. How How do you get Kissinger that high level making those talks and still maintain a tough stance on China? Well, maybe that's why it's the back channel, right? It's not the front channel. Right. Uh, You send somebody to Beijing who you think the Beijing government respects. Kissinger is enormously well-respected in Beijing because of the role he played in the Nixon administration, as you point out, in the opening of China. He has enormous credibility there, and the White House can leverage that uh, by sending those messages back and forth. Uh, Kudlow told me that, uh, you know, he took down everything Kissinger said about what Xi Jinping had told him uh, and passed all that into a memo for the president's eyes. He also said that Xi Jinping told Henry Kissinger that he would rather deal with Donald Trump than any of the Democratic candidates. Now, take that for what it's worth. Maybe that's just happy talk uh, as they're trying to, you know, uh, butter each other up. But Kissinger told Kudlow that Xi Jinping says that he'd rather deal with Donald Trump because Trump's not so focused on the human rights issues as a lot of the Democratic candidates will be. Uh, and so, therefore, it's easier to talk to him because he sees him as a man of business. You know, it's funny. I've been thinking about just that point, not just human rights, but climate control. As China's going way back on the coal train again, and I yeah coal train, and I know that uh, that, that Senator Warren is a uh, let's say she's an extremist if you're a Republican, but a, a very serious uh, protector or stakeholder of the earth. So I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, when he sees the field, these are people who have issues with labor, issues with human rights, and issues with the despoilation, despoiling the planet. Trump doesn't really share a lot of those, necessarily some of those attributes. Right. So put yourself now for a second 
in Xi Jinping's shoes. He's negotiating a massive trade deal with the U.S. side that has huge implications for his country and his economy, but also has huge implications for the president and his reelection effort. The, Xi Jinping is now in a position to sort of grant Donald Trump a trade deal or not in an election year. Uh, how does he weigh all those factors? Does he really want Donald Trump to be reelected, or was he just kind of saying that to be nice to, to a guy who is here on behalf of the Trump White House? Uh, and, uh, you know, how does he try to make that happen? I mean, in an era in which uh, we're sp spending so much time focusing on foreign governments and their interests in U.S. elections, that's another wrinkle to kind of consider from the Beijing perspective. All right, and one last question. There was a fabulous campaign a long time ago for a stock I like very much, Wendy's. Where's the beef? i got to ask you, where's the pork? Where is the big pork buy, given the fact that the African swine flu has decimated all the backyard pork farms in China? Yeah. Look, I, I don't know about pork farms in China, but I know about pork barrel politics in Washington. Uh, there's going to be some horse trading here on these trade deals. And you can imagine uh, that in order to get all the support that they need here in Washington, some goodies are going to change hands here in Washington, D.C. Well, Eamon, i got to tell you, it's a joy to have you on the show. I think your perspective hey, thanks, is Jim. incredible. Work ethic, unbelievable. Make us all smarter. Thank you so much for being on Mad Money. No one works harder than you, Jim. Thanks. <laughs> Mad Money's back here to the break. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, Dad! It's time for the lightning round! Come on, start with Gina in South Carolina. Gina! Mr. Kramer, it is an honor. My dad, God rest his soul, turned me on to your show, and I've been watching it faithfully, and he left me some Vodafone stock. And well, you know, that's a tough one, Gina. It's the tough one because it's got a good yield. But my problem is, is that it, I, honestly, I don't know what your basis is and what you're going to have to do with tax. That's up to your accountant. And I'm so glad that your dad loved the show and you do. But I really do prefer ATT. And I just think it's less risky. And I don't want you to have a lot of risk in your portfolio. How about we go to Greg in Florida? Greg! Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah. Long time, first time. Love your show. And it's time to write another book, Jimmy. Oh, man, they... Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it, you know that when you talk to do the, you know the, you, you do the audio book it takes forever. My wife got very angry at me last time. Anyway, go ahead. My stock is uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, and how do I you like see Taiwan Semi? They're very good, but I'm going to see your Taiwan Semi and raise you with Nvidia. <laughs> Faster growing and better. Let's go to Carol in New York. Carol. Hi, Jim. I just took profits in MKTX after that long run. Did you still like in the company? Yeah, I still do. It's uh, Rick McVeigh. I mean, I, I, honestly, I think that stock is a very, very good stock. You had a great ah, business model. We've had him on. Rick, come back. I mean, I've seen Chrissy McVeigh more than I've seen you. Let's go to Doug in New York. Doug. Hey, how you doing, Jim? Doug couldn't be better. How about you? All right. I want to say booyah, and I want to say happy holidays. You, your family, and everybody that does the production. Right back at you. What's up? All right. Um, that's so serious. I still stand by it. I still stand by it. I mean, look, we like to have some more used cars and new cars sold. That's kind of why it's not really roaring. But you know what? I like it very much. Bye, bye, bye. I think Howard Stern fan, by the way. Let's go to Raj in Minnesota. Raj. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Raj. Hey, I'm a new investor, and I would like to know whether it's a good time to buy Microsoft. Oh, I think that Sachin Adele is doing such an amazing job. I think he's got he has all systems going. This Azure, I mean, you know, he I remember him telling me that he was going to do certain 
benchmarks that I thought to be too high for his cloud business. He blew right through them. He's good to go. Let's go to Mark in uh, in Indiana. Mark. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Big booyah to you. Want to get your thoughts on Grubhub? Oh, my friend, that space is too competitive because they got that uh, DoorDash going against them, shooting against it. I'm not going to have some Hoosier in Grubhub when I know that DoorDash wants to eat their lunch. Harrison in Georgia. Harrison. Hey, Kramer. Booyah from Atlanta. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Want to give a big shout-out to my dad who turned me on to you long ago. All right. I'm looking for your looking for your thoughts on Infigoat. Interesting, interesting 5G play. Interesting. But let's look at it like this. Let's say we're drafting a player. Would you not take Julio? Uh, would you take Julio before or after uh, Nelson Aguilar? Right, that's Aguilar, and I want Julio. And that, ladies and gentlemen, and Nicky Cash, that is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Like I told you earlier, the impeachment of the President of the United States may be a huge story, but it's practically a non-issue as far as the stock market is concerned because we all kind of know how it's going to play out down there. In other words, it's already baked in. I'm much more concerned with genuinely new developments that can shake things up. Like what we heard from FedEx last night, very disturbing. The shipping company reported a substantial profit, but it was still much lower than expected. They earned $2.51 per share. Analysts were looking for $2.76. That's a bad miss. Then FedEx slashed its full-year forecast from $11 to $13 range, down to $10.25 to $11.50. Hugely disappointing. And that's why the stock got clocked today. Plunging more than $16, or 10%. But honestly, given how many things are going wrong for FedEx, it's incredible to me that they're making any money at all. What exactly did they botch? All right, for starters, management completely misjudged the amount of business they do on Cyber Monday. They had uh, 37.8 million packages when they'd only planned for 33 million. Now, you might think having way too much business is a high-quality problem, but not in the shipping industry. It's hard to make money when you're forecasting that poorly. Second, FedEx was banking on an increase in world trade. Now, I don't know where the heck they're getting that kind of wishful thinking, as the trade war with China has really weighed on global commerce. And that's exactly what happened this quarter. Oops. Third, FedEx made a huge acquisition in Europe, buying TNT Express for $4.8 billion back in 2015. TNT is still not integrated well. <laughs> That's truly suboptimal. And with Brexit on the horizon, you got something else that could put a damper on European commerce. Fourth, they have a very fraught relationship with Amazon. Which you could argue used to be their most important client. FedEx has disputes with the online colossus over the cost of freight. And Amazon actually cut them off from third-party shipments a week before Christmas. Wow. The money, that's the money week. I mean, they publicly stated that FedEx is just too, they do it too slowly. The house of pain. Grinch alert. Amazon's going from a large client to a vicious competitor that also badmouths them for not doing a good job. Fifth, FedEx added Saturday and Sunday delivery without seeming to realize that delivering on weekends could blow up their budget with unforeseen costs. Oops. Sixth, their fleet of planes is outmoded. Their staff of 490,000 workers is ridiculously bloated. And worst of all, management doesn't even think they can make cuts because it would hurt morale. It's such a mess 
that even though FedEx disappointed, I'm stunned they made as much money as they did. Now, I don't know how to fix FedEx, the company. That's too hard. I'm not in that game. But I do have some suggestions for how to turn the stock around. First, I would stop doing what CFO Alan Graft did on the call, which was basically predict the bottom when there's no bottom in sight. They need to start being more realistic. Stop calling bottoms. Second, they should stop giving guidance entirely if they can't make an accurate forecast. When you don't know what's happening, when you're overrun by events, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Finally, FedEx needs to stop trying to stay highly profitable and instead spend the money they need to be competitive in a world where e-commerce is growing much faster than they ever expected. They need to take that darn hit. And if that means bringing in a new management, so be it. Look, FedEx keeps messing up. But this company is not a disgrace. The real disgrace is that management keeps believing they've got it right, when in reality, they're dead wrong. Stop the predictions. Stop the sham guidance. And take the time to figure it all out. Then, and only then, will FedEx, the stock, be able to bottom. Stick with Kramer. It's an impeachment. Hey, listen, I don't know how to juggle, but you know what? You don't need to know how to juggle. That's because Washington's over here and Wall Street's over here, and they don't really meet. And that's why I'm urging you to stay calm. We are overbought. We're plus five on my SP oscillator that I follow. That means we shouldn't do any buying until the market comes down a bit, and don't be bummed out. Remember, Micron gave you good news tonight, so the semis should do some rallying tomorrow. I want to thank, geez, Elon Moy, Eamon Javers. It's fun. Those people work so hard down there. They don't get enough credit. They see they're on in the mor- when I get up in the morning and they're on when I go to bed. What kind of job is that? I mean, hey, they ought to, well, let's just say they do a fabulous one. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Craver, and I will see you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.